Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Wow! Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and t-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello and welcome to the AEW Dynamite Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Daddy Boys of What Culture, Michael Hamblett, Michael Sidgwick, here to review everything that happened on last night's episode of AEW Dynamite. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only review AEW Dynamite, but also AEW Rampage, Raw, SmackDown, the show formerly known as NXT 2.0. Oh, pay-per-views, premium live events. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a round of the week complete with a video quiz, of course, on WrestleCulture. As I said, though, joined by Hamlet and Sidgwick to review last night's AEW. And I saw some uh, backlash about this on Twitter this morning, Sid, but I thought this was a really good episode of AEW Rampage. Huh? <laughs> I was going to tweet, legitimately, I was going to tweet, flat dynamite. Rampage ass dynamite, <laughs> and then Rampage looks great this week. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, I this was honestly, I was bored rigid during the vast majority of the show. Even the stuff that was good wasn't electrifying. There was stuff that was theoretically good that just fell flat in that arena. And just to get it out of the way, I do not blame that crowd at all. If I'd bought a ticket, it was a new market, I believe. Laredo, Laredo, we don't know, Paso and Dallas and everywhere, but as you said, big ass state. Yeah. Even yeah, that's for us, we'd think, what? what? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, is that, you're running England again. <laughs> Even if it wasn't a new market, if I'm buying a ticket for an AW show, there's an expectation of like at least one blow away awesome match with a top star on it. So I don't blame the crowd for being, eh. all right, okay, well, let's see what you've got. I'm not going to be mad for it. I'll get sucked into it, but they didn't get sucked into it because it wasn't a very good show. Uh, it was just so mid and boring, most of this. Yeah, there's like two ways a Dynamite card like this can make a mug out of you in anticipation for it. One, you preview it and say, it's not that great, but like AW is just so good at its core that like there's just things that you can't yet see that are going to be, that are going to reveal themselves on the show. But there was gonna, one moment. There was, yeah, there was a couple. Of, yeah. You're going to feel foolish for like not picking that up. Or, yeah, made him up because you're optimistic that this card is like, you dare to dream that it might over-deliver, and then it kind of just delivers exactly what it's promised, but what it promised was a bit blah in the first place. I think I thought that's what's happened here. It wasn't all bad news, of course, because, uh, well, we know they listen to the podcast, and uh, as evidenced by this, thankfully clipped off by Matt Raines from yesterday's preview. Let's not forget this week, we've had the women main event Monday Night Raw. We've had the women main event NXT. Oh, we're going to get the women main event Dynamite. 
So. We did. Yeah. Gauntlet thrown down to Parlet Play to uh, try and do one th- good thing on SmackDown this Friday. Wonder Powsey. <laughs> uh, right, let's get into it then, because uh, I'd uh, love to know your thoughts on it. Although, I, of course, can read Michael Sidgwick's thoughts as well uh, at whatculture.com. He did the ups and downs for AEW Dynamite this week. So the show started. Uh, it was a nice gra- graphic dedicating the show to the uh, late, great Jerry Jarrett. And then out comes, fittingly, Jeff Jarrett. Uh, alongside Jay Lethal, Satnam Singh, and Sanjay Dutt for that eight-man against the acclaimed Daddy Ass and Orange Cassidy. Uh, Jerry Jarrett was referenced by Caster's Rap, as was Nepo Babies and (laughs) TNA. Yeah. Uh, Is it a bit mean-spirited, this? I think the total opposite, actually. It was like, your your dad's a legend. Yeah, no, I got that bit where they were nice to the dad and bad to Jeff Jarrett, and Jeff Jarrett would have loved to be the heel in that moment. I just don't know. I just did not know. I think, like, all these are always case by case. And, like, we've always said about AEW, it's set an amazing precedent for situations like this. Like, you just look at Jeff Jarrett and you're like, he's business, isn't he? Like, yeah. Yeah, I don't like, you know, when people say that, oh, it's what they would have wanted. I don't really like casting that on other people because I don't know what people yes. would have wanted. But there is something that makes me think, ah, Jeff, would I like that? Yeah. Like, for his dad as much as for himself. It just seems like a good day for Jeff Jarrett if he's having a bad one. Mm. I think. I think. I agree. I think it's one of those where. You uh, would not have let it happen. No. No, of course not, no. And uh, sometimes, you know, if your mate has some bad news, the best thing you can kind of do is get back to taking the piss out of them because that's like a semblance of normality in this uh, weird time for them. Anything that brings back around the possibility of the Jeff Jarrett rap that was left (laughs) undone by the feud in the first place. You know, if he wants to, like, clap back, I still want to see that. Yeah. Um, it looked like Sanjay Dutt was how that team was going to start the match. Uh, but in the end, it's Jay Lethal and Anthony Bowens who get things off back and forth stuff for them uh, until out come the new tag team champions on the stage who give it a full... Thing, mate. Yeah. <laughs> ...to the crowd. Uh, and that allowed um, the heels to take over. Jarrett beating down Daddy Ass uh, with Lethal. Fargo strutting there. Satnam Singh did one as well. Uh, and he tags in and takes out the acclaimed and Orange Cassidy in one go because he's the best. Um, Satnam Singh blocks an orange punch, launches Orange Cassidy across the ring, tags in Dutt. But uh, as that happens, uh, Daddy Ass hits a big famouser on the big man. Um, Aubrey's like, come on then, you're the legal man and you come. Um, but they use the, the stolen golden globe uh, on daddy ass. Uh, lethal takes out Bowens with the lethal combination. Duck goes after Caster with the pencil, but gets hit with the orange punch. Um, and they set up for Sesame Timbers on Duck. It looks like everyone's going to hit it at one point. They keep getting shoved off the top rope. Uh, some lazy kicks to Duck from Orange Cassidy. But in the end, it's the tag team pairing that hits it. Bowens dropping the leg for the one, two, three. Uh, and there's a stare down with the guns post-match before a Classic scissoring. I think this was my favourite match of the night, and I wouldn't have expected to say that because um, it was all about a bit of levity, really, off the back of, obviously, the sad Jerry Jarrett news. They were going to be like, look, Jeff's in a match, and this is a bit of a fun time and all that. Like, I know this was trivial comedic nonsense, but it was well-performed trivial comedic nonsense, and a lot of stuff that needed to be well-performed on this card, I don't think, was. So, like... As I say, when I was watching live, I wasn't thinking to myself, this is the most I'm going to enjoy a match this evening. But after the show concluded, it was. Um, I didn't love where the booking went afterwards, particularly, although there's obvious fantasy booking you can do with it. 
But just as a, a standalone thing, based on what was set up on Rampage, I've really quite enjoyed this. I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> um, look, it was nice to tie the tribute to Jerry into the match with Jeff. But when I was watching this match, ultimately, what I wanted out of this episode of Dynamite was to get really on the hook for Revolution. Mm. I wanted it to get serious. I wanted it to feel big time. I wanted it to feel premium. I wanted to feel like, right, I've got a good idea of what that Revolution card looks like, and I'm mad into it. This was the opposite. I was struck watching this with how small AEW felt. It hasn't felt this small for a long, long time. Like, I knew the advance for the show wasn't particularly great. They didn't do that, like, all but impossible WWE job of making a small town in a small crowd look pretty enormous because they've got the production know-how. It looked small. It felt like a house show match when I wanted the return of that prime era episodic beast that Dynamite was at its height. This was the opposite of what I wanted. In like, I can't not guffaw at Satnam Singh doing the Javid strut by the ropes. <laughs> that was great. But I just thought they set an inessential tone, felt very small time. And as I wrote in ups and downs, obviously a lot of the opinions are going to be repeated mm -hmm. here. There was a smugness to this I, that I find hard to place. Like you are getting battered in the perception battle. Maybe by idiots whose opinion shouldn't be considered <laughs> by claiming that AEW don't do storylines and it's all random. It's ridiculous. If anything, they put too much context yeah, into their matches. It's still this case for me, but it just felt like they were doing an irreverent piss about with comedy characters very early when it felt small. It all just felt a bit small fry for me, this. You, well, you, one of the things you mentioned yesterday when we were talking about this was the fact that the acclaimed have just lost the tag team titles and they're in this match. How do you feel that they balanced this? Because it felt like they did still have one eye at least on on winning back those bills. They did, later, that later on. they did later in the show, but they didn't necessarily sell it as if they were furious, as if they'd been wronged, as if getting a those titles back was the most important thing on their minds because they enjoyed mucking about in a comedy match. And it's called second match comedy for a reason. Like, do it in the second match. Like, it's like the album, the studio album. You kick it off with an absolutely amazing track. Mm -hmm. Then you do some kind of meandering slower stuff and then you ramp up the pace. If you set the tone with something like this, then especially when there are acts who just lost a title which used to be the most enormous thing in AEW. I don't know, I just, the tone of this, I just, it put me in a bit of a bad mood when it was meant to completely do the opposite. I think I will say that about placement. Like I say, I certainly, did. I, I enjoyed this, but I expected to enjoy it in that way. That like, right, to Sidgwick's point, onto the serious business now. I've, yeah. had, I've had a nice time with this. What else is coming? But I think like card placement throughout this episode was all wrong and like, you know, often you can disagree on the structure of a dynamite, but typically if the episode's been great as a whole, you can suddenly see why things have gone mm. where they've gone. I think there was a lot wrong in the way that the matches were laid out on this card. But then equally, I can see why they were laid out as they were, because it wasn't a great card to begin with. You're, you're looking for something that sticks out from something else, and nothing really did. They didn't so. have a main event, and they didn't have an opener, and that's yeah. because they didn't have a card. Um, I had just thought that the fact that they invoked the rematch clause, which is very selective in AEW to begin with, 
I don't like the words in AEW. They, d- they are WWE words. WWE words. They've used that device very selectively. If they are going to use it, like it just didn't feel like the guns title win mattered. It felt like a formality that it could just be undone. Yeah, I'm just not a fan of any of this. I was, it was put me in a bloody pissing mood. The guns have like won the first leg, but like they claim have got an away goal. So they'll they'll, they'll <laughs> yeah. sort they'll sort it all out in the second leg. Yeah. yeah. And the fact that it's a four-way. I don't know if that's uh, good I, or not. Well, I've like we'll, we'll get to that, I suppose, okay. when they when they announce it. Yeah, there's a few things to that, like that I, I want to pick out with that. Uh, we get a video package of uh, Daniel Bryan finally earning that Iron Man match at AW Revolution. Uh, and he said that the boogeyman is going to get MJF. So new member of the roster, apparently. Um, I'm surprised he's not all elite. He signed everybody else. <laughs> just, I'm just glad he's not finished because that's not a name I want to. <laughs> anyway. Sidrick uncovered some amazing boogeyman lore this week, but I don't want to spoil it in case it ends up in an article. It's absolutely tremendous. Yeah. Really, like, I don't want to spoil it for you, Will Bob, because you will love it when Ooh. you hear it. It's really great stuff. Is it sponsored crisp content? It, it's better than crisp. It features one of your most favorite characters in all of wrestling right now. What a tease. Um, then it was time for the tumultuous Texas tornado tag siege. <laughs> we, should, we should not live anymore. <laughs> John Moxley and Claudio. At least take a year off, like Roosh is apparently doing. This is Roosh and Preston Vance. Um, they're making their way through the crowd of the BCC when uh, Roosh and Vance attack them. Um, and they, they brawl all over the arena. Um, when we finally come back from the break, they are back in the ring. Uh, Claudio gets taken out on the floor. Moxley gets double teamed in the ring. Um, we see Hangman Page watching backstage. Oh, I'm a poet. Um, <laughs> uh, Vance gets repeatedly thrown into the chairs that have been set up in the corner. I've got distracted here. I apologize. Um, Moxley launches himself to the floor onto Roosh. Um, and uh, as Moxley's back on the apron, Vance spears him through the ropes onto Roosh and Claudio. Um, and Roosh smacks the chair out of the chair on uh, on Claudio and Vance table and chairs and all that, um, which means Moxley's a severe disadvantage <laughs> here. Um, he's battling with Roosh. Um, and as he's doing that, in comes Preston Vance and clocks him in the head with the chain, um, bludgeons him, busts him open. Uh, Claudio finally recovers it to make the save. He's got the chain this time, and this time Preston Vance has been busted open. Giant swing uh, for about 12 or so uh, on Preston Vance, slugging it out. Um, there's a face-off between Roosh and Claudio, potential uh, Ring of Honor title match, who knows. Um, in comes Jose, the assistant, and attacks Claudio with a chair. Out comes Wheeler Uta to beat him up and chase him off to the back. Roosh goes to the bull's horn, but uh, gets speared in midair. Uh, they spill to the outside, do Claudio and Roosh. Vance goes to hang Moxley with the chain, but Moxley reverses and chokes out Preston Vance to get the victory. Um, and we cut backstage to see Hangman Page getting his ass kicked. Uh, Newsflash slick! It's the Butcher and the Blade and Kip Sabian. Dark Order have to run in to save him. More on that a little bit later. This did not reach the ceiling for me. I don't know if my expectations were too high, but at the same time, they were there. And this just did not reach the standard I expected from this match. I think one of my problems is that AEW has got such, like, incredible form at being able to... It's, it's oxymoronic, this, or counterintuitive. They're able to craft chaos, and it's amazing how they do it. The Sting Party match, 
um, anarchy in the arena. They've got this unbelievable magic gift to make something that's been well thought out and crafted and make it feel like this it's this real carnage frenzy happening in front of you. This felt like not that. Mm. This just felt like a good brawl. This didn't bottle that magic that they can somehow conspire to bottle. And I didn't like how it went through a second advert. It, there's certain matches where you can't really do that. Um, there's the trios matches, if you remember. The very first tournament matches on Dynamite, I thought went too long because you want to get people up a height, like overwhelmed with excitement. And then, especially in that genre of match, cause that's what it's predicated on. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily great selling or great emotive storytelling, but total balls-to-the-wall action exhilaration. When it's the second advert and you have to slow it down, it's like, oh, Christ, you have to really get yourself back up. It's not like working a limb where you can focus and absorb mm. and it's a patient approach. And it's a similar thing to this where it's meant to feel like this blood-soaked, wild, frenzy tornado, and then to go through the second break where they have to slow it down. It didn't feel like they were consumed with hatred and soaked in blood and they're in a war. It felt like they were working someone over slowly because you don't do your exciting stuff in the break. So I thought structurally this was off. I felt like it was clunky early and I didn't necessarily feel, despite the fact that I did a tremendous job of saying this is Preston Vance's breakout and it's so well crafted how it's against him, John Moxley, who's had his number, who's been, like, excessively violent to this one guy. It's really cool. Mm. Very cool how they've <laughs> arrived at this. But ultimately, I just don't think it was a good night for Preston Vance. I don't think he radiated that. Right, I'm ready for my breakthrough moment. Charisma didn't feel like a major player for me. And I'll tell you one thing as well, that that spot where Vance wrapped his wrapped a chain around his fist and clocked Moxley, kicked out, and then Moxley started to bludgeon him. They didn't register the fact that, oh, my God, he's got a chain around his fist. These things should mean something. They've got a, He's got a chain around his fist. He's about to clock Moxley. Claudio's selling on the outside. My God, we're going to see a shock. That feeling did not happen mm. because it was just so rushed, so sudden, and it wasn't even like last gasp at the kick out. Um, yeah, I just thought this was rushed, clunky, really physical and committed, but it just didn't land. Yeah, I totally agree. I had, um, not problems, it was it was fine, but like, the thing about a fine match in AEW is when it's like the fixtures company, then a match can be fine. You can watch it, it can exist for its purpose, and then it can go away and you can never think about it again. There was a match like that later on in the show. Yeah, but some of them aren't bad for fixtures because it's, like, if you're wanting to hear that a wrestler's won 10 on the spin, you don't need to revisit every single one of those 10. There might be like two or three that are the real high points, but it's okay because they're building momentum, mm -hmm. they're doing whatever. But I don't think a Texas Tornado match can be a fixture. I think it exists to be something else, and this was nowhere near something else. I think there was like no, unusually for AEW, not a lot of thought put into this. Like the chain is such a perfect example of like what I couldn't quite articulate. They didn't feel like there was a lot of thought put into the layout of this, and maybe the ad break was a, something to do with that, maybe the placement. It, it just... I'm going to keep going back to placement because I wonder how much of this dynamite had the ingredients threw up in the day earlier on where like there was a, a change of mind or a change of plans or something like that because it just didn't feel like it fit here. The spots register was a, was a massive problem. 
Um, I don't have the stats or the information or the data on blood, but it felt like they were getting a lot more patient and disciplined with blood, and it's gone right back the other way again. This did not compare to Daniel Bryan and Brian bled Brian Danielson, excuse me, and Danielson bled half as much last week than Moxley did this week. Moxley just bleeds gushes, doesn't he? But like the blood didn't mean anywhere near as much as it mm. did last week. Um, and I know it's a Roosh match, and maybe you could argue, well, look, Roosh bludgeons people. Like if you're in there with Roosh, you're going to bleed, and maybe that's a thing, but. I didn't and that like, green cable's going to make an appearance. <laughs> yeah, I just didn't feel anything for this. And when they're hitting each other really hard, or they're going to war, or it's supposed to feel like that, that's the, that's a worst case scenario. I, I wasn't, I didn't have like as high expectations as Cedric in truth, but I was underwhelmed nonetheless. And as well, they obviously had to put this here because you had angle advancement with the BCC later on. But as much as I'm normally in favour of, they don't just have to do one thing and then be done for the night. When you're in a Texas tornado match, I think you do. I think like Moxley I think he ha- should have been nursing his head yeah, you with gotta, some cold non-alcoholic beers. You've got to hit the showers for and like be hours, smoking I... your tab in that artistic picture of it, like with the cut still, yeah. whatever. I don't, I don't know. There are times when it's right for somebody to be back out there and still annoyed, and then there's other times not. Um, next up, it was Jim Ross sit-down interview with Wardlow. I just wish someone could have called this. Um, <laughs> talks about you know teaming with Samoa Joe in the past and then sharing some some personal stuff. Um, and Wardlow talks about his relationship with his father. He said he had a great relationship until the age of eight, I think it was, um, and then he was absent. Um, but they rekindled the relationship later on in life. Um, his father unfortunately called to inform him that he had stage four cancer. Um, he saw his dad at the hospice. He started wrestling. Um, his dad was able to come and see him uh, doing an in- indie match. Um, and he said he promised his father he'd do the right thing, he'd make it in wrestling. And then after his uh, father's passing, Wardlow decided, like his dad, he was going to grow out his hair, grow out his beard. And Joe knew all this. And now the cutting off of the top knot has so much more weight to it all because he took this from Wardlow. He took his connection with his father um, and he concluded by saying, even though Joe has survived every company and monster this business has to offer, he will not survive Wardlow. Absolutely unbelievable plotting from the No Stories promotion. <laughs> well done them. Well done them. It's about time they booked something. <laughs> Kiss my ear. Suck my kick. Somebody's been watching Raw. <laughs> <laughs> this was so good. Plotted this way round. You needed to advance that Wardlow character. The incarnation of it in 2022 had peaked and cooled off considerably, so they needed to humanize the character. They've happened on this really incredible means of doing so. And had they, in a backstage segment or whatever, revealed that Wardlow has a top knot for that reason, it's telegraphing, Yes, it's contrived, you're just waiting for it to happen, and it feels cheap. I'm here backstage with Wardlow. Wardlow, what's the deal with that top knot? Yeah. <laughs> and they would have made it so obvious, and they would have just stripped any potential pathos they could have extracted from this angle. Doing it this way around, even if it was a bit weird that Joe did it, just completely makes it the correct decision. The pathos here was something else. You watched it and think, Joe, you absolute dick. Like, you are soul of a man. They reveal it in a way more organic way. It heats it up. This is exactly what I was asking for yesterday yeah. when I was worried that 
this revolution card. And I still think on the whole it does look cold, but I thought it was really cold. And they've juiced this up, and I was genuinely happy to hear this heartbreaking story, if that makes any sense. Yeah, they've given um, what I think is potentially quite a flat match on the night the best possible chance of succeeding, which is what good booking is supposed to do. Ultimately, they've, you know, the hostilities now are as hot as they've ever been between, like, this is more than a tag team splitting up. It's more than a TNT title, but Wardlow will take that TNT title as a trophy for this nonetheless. I love the kayfabe and the shoot implications of this because the kayfabe story is a good one. As like Sidrick has articulated there. The shoot one makes me think that, like, the magic is always going to be there in AEW in the way that they collaborate because the old way of doing things in wrestling, we've heard this a million times, is that like if a wrestler is wanting to get the hair cut or a promoter wants the wrestler to lose the hair, it's like, well, you're going to make them pay for it. That's a, that's a free hit for a promoter. Make them, you know, make them pay to see somebody get their hair cut. I love the idea that working this backwards, Wardlow has maybe thought, Do you know what, I think I need an update of the look. Like, let's get rid of the top knot. Or Tony Khan's pitched it. Should we get rid of the top knot? And either that top knot story is 100% true and it's a genuinely sweet thing. And Wardlow said, well, do you know actually why I've got this? And then they're like, this is amazing. That's fabulous. We can use it. Or, yeah, we're going to get rid of it. Uh, we're not going to make people pay for the cut, but we're going to make people pay for the redemption for the cut. And let's wrap this story into it. That shows some real thought and creative collaboration that, like, I suppose, to That's the essence bit, of what I love about this promotion. That's it. That used, yeah. to run, that used to run through every match on every card whenever possible. And that's kind of been a little bit replaced by checking cage match to see when two wrestlers fought before, then showing a clip on the road to. Like, there's a, both kind of thoughts are good, but one's a lot more basic than the other. So I was a big fan of that. AEW extracting pathos from an out-of-date hairstyle. Like, that is what I expect from this company. Yeah. And it, it also makes sense, like, long, even longer term. Like, he shared this with Joe and then Joe's you. It's like, in a weird way, it's... John Wick, but if they knew what that dog meant to John Wick or whatever, you know, how do you want to word this? Because I, I, I love John Wick. I'm going to watch it again this weekend. <laughs> um, but also, people say, well, well, why didn't MJF use that? Why would Wardlow ever share that information with... He was never friends with MJF. Yeah. He was a mercenary mm-hmm. for him. So, I, yeah, I, I thought this was majestic, the way that they yeah. put this out. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> I can only imagine how... Uh, WWE would have butchered this. What's going on with the old... Uh, I know a lot of people... We've seen a lot of people talking on like the, the uh, <laughs> yeah. top, top dollar thing. A lot of people asking about my shoes recently. No one asking about your shoes, mate. Uh, top dollar versus top knot. <laughs> uh, right, then it was time for Mark Briscoe versus Josh Woods. Uh, Briscoe, unsurprisingly, got an amazing reaction. And uh, I mentioned this on the news. I'm going to mention it here again now. If you get the chance... Uh, check out Paige Shill, Mark Briscoe, um, <laughs> promoting uh, Honor Club with uh, with Lexi you on did, the, their Twitter. He did more in one promo to promote Ring of Honor as a viable brand than Tony Khan did for the entire AW television in 2022. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, Briscoe sends Woods to the floor early on, but Sterling takes the ref, and Tony Nice, his tiny knees, and uh, Davari attack Briscoe on the outside. Lucha Bros come down to get rid of them. Um, but this still allows Woods to hit a nice corkscrew suplex off the apron to the floor to take us to a break. When we come back, it's time, I would love it, for some redneck kung fu from Mark Briscoe. Yeah. Uh, Sterling interferes against, but Woods back in control. Um, Briscoe hits a thrust chop and a charging boot that sends Woods to the outside, and he uses a chair to catapult himself over the top to the floor. Um, 
Briscoe hit a razor's edge, got a two count, call for the J-Driller, um, but Woods reversed and hit pure chaos for a nice near fall. Then they trade counters. Ris uh, Briscoe hits a rolling DVD and goes up top and wins via the froggy bow. And I should mention here, I suppose as well, it's subsequently been announced, quite rightly, that Mark Briscoe is all elite. He's my new hero. He is the <laughs> new folk hero of this promotion. Yeah. He's the absolute best. Like, this was a nice match, not an electrifying back and forth, but an establishing victory to introduce Mark Briscoe to new audiences, and it was a fabulous bit of business on those terms. He's so much cleverer than he makes out, and that's the joy of the act. Like, I'm in love with Mark Briscoe. I love how he knew... Smart Mark Sterling was a snake who was full of crap. But it was nice to him anyway because he's a baby face and he's a decent bloke. And then when Smart Mark Sterling was a dick, he was a dick right back because that's how a baby face should be. They shouldn't be overly antagonistic. And the match itself, he saved the J-Driller. He had to do it in the match against Jay Lethal because that was the only finish. But he only teased it here so that it's going to mean the world when he does it again for a much bigger victory. I just, I love Mark Briscoe. The fish out of water in the land is, like the wacky confines of North American episodic TV. It's He's just so endearing. He's so funny. He's such a badass. Some of his stuff's really exciting. I'll, most of it is. It's so credible. Like, I'm so on board with Mark Briscoe, and I hope they give him something really substantial to do. Hmm. Yeah, I just agree with all of that. Um, Mark Briscoe... I, like, I never imagined that uh, Eddie Kingston, who has been sidelined a little bit with an AW, could have so much of what I love about him replaced. And I don't mean that to be cruel to Eddie Kingston, but like at the moment, Mark Briscoe feels like he's doing that slightly, but with a warmth, and obviously with tons of sentiment, of course, like lashings of sentiment, and his, his value might be to this re-established and rebranded Ring of Honor more so than AW, but all of the same feelings that made you just will... Eddie Kingston on a victory and wants so much for him to win a singles title. Not that I felt those feelings moving over, but I felt identical ones. I was mm. immediately thinking, I want to see this version of this match again. I want to see it against different heels. I want to see him just outsmart, outwit, and outfight a bunch of other loser heels. AW's amazing at building loser heels to lose to guys like Mark Briscoe, so I'll have a ton of that. And I'm visualizing title wins and title programs and Mark Briscoe doing something. Everything's going to be in tribute to Jay forever, but that doesn't mean that like the Mark Briscoe story now can't be a cool one on its own terms. They've kind of got like a, a perfect blend of the two in that regard. And I just, I don't want this to be like the end of Eddie Kingston, but I was like, ooh, right, if he does continue to find himself in what feels like a, a bit of a doghouse in AEW, Briscoe is right there to kind of take all of that sentiment along for the ride. He's just so entertaining. Magnetic he's presence, so like. entertaining, Mark Briscoe, and he's not really done anything like of true emotion mm. yet, and that can just go down the line. Mm. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Next up, it's time for a sit-down interview with Adam Cow. Bye-bye. Um, <laughs> Renee Paquette chatting to him. Uh, he talks about how happy he is to be back on the road with AEW. Um, not you know, not in the ring, but he's got to take the mini victories. What he's got to appreciate, uh, for example, he can look in the right direction with his right eye without it twitching, and he can drive without feeling nauseous. It's just a horror. When people say things like that, I'm like, really, people really, I, I really do take things for granted sometimes. Wrestling's bananas. And, uh, it is just. We were talking about um, Randy Orton and Hulk Hogan, weren't we? Got the one guy that does leg drops, and the one guy that's like uh, Mr. Safe Wrestler's wrestler, like. They'll both need, like, Hogan's had about three new hips and Orton will need him by the time he retires. Was there a bit of synergy between Hangman Page's post-match selling and that quote from Adam Cole mm. about the eyes? Mm. Ah, I didn't think that. That's a good point. Um, Renee says, well, when you are finally able to get back in, what's the next chapter? He says, oh, there's lots of chapters I want to explore. Look at that roster. It's never been better. Uh, he needs to be prepared. He's got some idea who he wants to be in the ring with. Uh, but it's got to be. But it's going to be good for AW and good for Adam Cole. Bye bye. Pointless, if I'm being brutally honest. <laughs> nice to see him. To see him nice. <laughs> Genuinely, it was. <laughs> yeah. But I think this was designed for people to go. Well, who's he talking about then? If he's got an idea, who is it? And then we could all sit on podcasts or mm-hmm. on Twitter or on ugh, Squared Circle. <laughs> and speculate as to who that is. The idea is to create conversation and discourse and debate and engage your audience. I'd have liked a hint. Mm-hmm. I'd have liked a pretty strong hint or even a little tease as to who it could be. Maybe one or two, a red herring, just something to latch onto. And there was now to latch onto here. Feels like they're procrastinating. It feels like, and I mentioned this in the in the Rampage review with Scott Tailford, that I think they wanted Cole in Los Angeles, and the date was immaterial, and the date is kind of held back from telling a really interesting story. I think they just wanted him in L.A., and then they realized that's quite far away, so we'll just meander a little bit until he does something at Revolution. Maybe to capitalize on that, the fact that it was a big show for them, or the fact that the, they wanted to the steal... double debut with Mene, and then if that fell away, then yeah. they left with a, a... Oh, we didn't even need any debut, you know. Or to steal a conversation away from the fact that Mane wasn't there. Mm. But it just feels like they've got nothing of substance to build the match. So let me enjoy what it could be, but they give us nothing. Yeah, I, it wasn't like a bait and switch in the strictest sense, but it felt a bit like one. Like, there was certainly the idea that... Maybe Sidge is right there. There's probably a, a compromise between nothing, which is what we got, and out and out saying, it's you, I'm calling you out and this is going to be the match or whatever. Um, because it wasn't, you know what, Britt Baker did a better job of teasing Mercedes Monet than Adam Cole did <laughs> of teasing anybody, because you've just dropped some of the wrestlers' catchphrase. I want to shout out Kid Icarus, not just because 
he remains the five-star review documentarian yeah. with a spreadsheet on his pinned tweet, which I saw today, that's still there as of like late 2022, still keeping it up to date. What a legend. But I'm just clinging on for dear life to any clue that I can find about CM Punk. And Kid Icarus found one here. Uh, there was others on this show, people I've seen discussing on Twitter, the amount of the use of best in the world. Something else, but I can't remember. Um, I'm now obsessed with the way that they've positioned the Young Bucks on a tickets poster because their exes look awfully like CM Punk doing the yeah. straight edge cross arm thing. Uh, but yeah, Renee Paquette was in pink and black, and Adam Cole, the noted Shawn Michaels guy, like, it just like easily says, Am I reaching here? And I was thinking, Yeah, but like, <laughs> it's CM Punk, so I'll always reach for CM Punk. I wouldn't hate this card getting an unbelievable injection of rocket fuel on the like the go home dynamite. Adam Cole, like people who want to know who my opponent is, I, I'm issuing my challenge, and it's CM Punk. Like rather than it being a surprise or something like that, look sad. Look at Cedric It's just, it's just deluded. Deluded. I think there are a lot of ways routes back into this promotion for CM Punk, and the promotion there should isn't. be goddamn grateful for it. Quite frankly, there is. Um, <laughs> this this would be one. Someone came back from a torn triceps injury. They did. Who got injured at the very same time, as noted by my esteemed colleague and CM Punk fan, Michael Cedric. I'm a CM Punk so, fan. Exactly. Phil Brooks, yeah. CM Punk. Don't, yeah, I don't disagree. <laughs> um, so then it was time after a kind of mid first hour of, of Dynamite, appropriately for MJF to come down. Um, and saying it's mid. No, I'm saying he's the polar opposite. He calls things out when they're mid. Obviously, I'd never say that about my best friend. Um, and and the, and another reason why I'm such a big fan of his is uh, he makes picture in picture very entertaining. Well worth checking this out on Fight if you didn't get the chance to see it live. Oh, he got the loudest reaction all night with a masterpiece of a heel performance. The idea is when they cut the break that in a promo segment anyway, you want the heel to say something revolting to the crowd or like really antag- antagonistic, so that when Excalibur says we're back here on TBS. He's getting showered with jeers. And this fella got, this bloke, got showered with jeers. It was amazing. Yeah, it was believable for those who were watching on normal telly and it goes to to a commercial that MJF hasn't said anything and they've just been playing his music whilst deafening booze yeah. ring out for the last couple of minutes. Um, but yeah, he sure wound up those Texans uh, in, the, in the interim between coming back. He uh, gets a... If only your state wasn't horrible and backwards, the kids would be dead. <laughs> Basically what he says. Yeah. He got a, uh, I think it was culero chant, which just means asshole. Um, and he says, I don't understand Spanish, basically, or Espanol. You habla Espanol. Yeah, indeed. Uh, says, uh, you people, you bloody love Brian Danielson, don't you? You used to love me. You all used to be, at one point, devil worshippers. You're disgusting, fickle little monsters. Um, so I turn my back on you before you had your before you had the opportunity to turn your back on me. But at least I'm honest about who I am. Uh, I'm the devil. Brian's not so honest. Um, they don't love Brian Danielson. They love the man Danielson portrays. Uh, in real life, he's just like all of us, a worthless sack of trash. <laughs> but I'm not here to talk about how horrible Brian is. <laughs> Having said that. Um, he hates Brian because he's got people convinced that Brian is better than him when that couldn't be further from the truth. You know, you all think Brian's the best in the world. Why? Because he entertains the best, because he does the cool manoeuvres and the holds, because he puts on five-star bangers. Um, Love that. 
he's identified precisely when that word's gone out of fashion. Yeah. He uh, says, look, newsflash. That's not why you get into the... Why you get into this business. Uh, he's getting, Taz, wasn't it? He said he hates bangers. Taz had a little Taz chuckle on commentary. Yeah. He, uh, he said, you get into it to be world champion. Um, and seems to work out who the best in the world is because they're holding the AW World Heavyweight Championship, something that Brian Danielson has never been able to accomplish. Um, look, I'm not an idiot, says MJF. He says, I know that Brian's going to put on the performance of a lifetime. Um, he's going to use every trick he has and put, put MJF through the hardest match in his life, but after those 60 minutes are up and the clock strikes zero, MJF is going to be victorious. And Brian's not the best wrestler in the world. MJF is and a revolution. He'll prove it. He's better than you. Uh, he's better than Brian, and and the crowd go to do it with him. And he's like, "It's not fucking karaoke night. Stop saying it with me." It's a rock line that wasn't it? Yeah. Not sing along with the champ. Sing along with the champ. Yeah. Ninety-eight rock, I think that yeah. was. Um, anyway, if you don't want to take his word for it, uh, maybe you'll take the word of someone who's known Brian for his entire career. Here's Christopher Daniels. Uh, out comes Daniels, looking a little bit sheepish, let's say, uh, and he's like, "Tell everyone the truth about Brian Danielson." And Daniels is like, all right, full disclosure, MJF's paid me an obscene amount of money uh, to denigrate Danielson on national TV, pulls out an envelope. He says, look, um, look, that is uh, not the man I am today. The truth is, Brian Danielson is going to knock MJF's dick in the dirt. Love that. Love that line. Dick in the dirt. Throws the envelope of money at MJF. There's a bit of law there. Mm. Hangman Page said it to Moxley. Yeah. yeah. And Trent was gutted on Twitter because apparently he'd written it in his uh, notebook that he wanted to say it to someone on TV at some ah. point. I think him and Paige are good mates. And Paige went into business for himself on live television. <laughs> oh, brilliant. <laughs> um, Danielson, uh, sorry, Christopher Daniels continues the promo. I like the fact that MJF has realised well, he's not going to be saying anything uh, that I've told him to say. So he's more interested whilst Daniels is cutting this promo in picking up the money that's <laughs> been thrown at him and the envelope. Um, talks about, Christopher Daniels this is, talks about being in the ring with a 20-year-old Brian Danielson, thinking he might die after he got nailed by him in the middle of the ring. Um, saw him in the King of the Indies tournament in 2001. That sort of inspired Ring of Honor as a promotion. Uh, they brought real professional wrestling back to a fan base that was starved for it. Um, same fans that were ecstatic when AEW opened four years ago. Um, if it wasn't for Brian, Daniels continues, there would be no Ring of Honor, there would be no AW, and there would be no MJF. Um, you know, he's uh, he's watched Brian wrestle, wrestle as many matches as he could handle. Um, I wanted to learn all that I could. Uh, oh, sorry, Brian, this is. wanted to learn all that he could, learn one new thing in uh, every match that he had, and uh, Daniels had watched him do it over and over until he became a world champion. He knows what it takes to be a world champion. He's on the path to do it again, and that is why MJF hates him. Um, he is exactly what MJF wishes he could be, the best wrestler in the world today. MJF's a fraud. He is going to out-wrestle MJF. This is MJF's had enough at this point. Slaps the microphone out of Daniels' hand. Um, shoves Christopher Daniels. Says, I'm the best in the world. Uh, Daniels is like, no, I don't think so, mate. Um, Daniels goes to leave. MJF pulls his arm, so Danielson slaps MJF, smacks him across the face. So, of course, MJF low blows him, locks on the salt of the earth. He's going to wrench that arm out of his socket when who comes to make the save? But, of course, Brian Danielson. But before he can get his hands on MJF, he hightails it out of there. Lots and lots to love about this. Um, I love how he came out of the Fallen Angel theme, and he's got that eye 
and he looks like, oh, he's, Daniels is going to be this arsehole. <laughs> and he takes one look at MGF, and says, oh, I just can't do it. <laughs> Not doing this. He's a, piece of, he's a piece of trash. The institution being against MGF because the institution itself is a babyface promotion with real values and they're not carnies is a longer story than the f***ing bloodline. <laughs> <laughs> they can do things that span years as well. Is the Cody match the first overt example? I think that uh, the very first episode of Dynamite, I think it was the very first episode of Dynamite, or one of the very first episodes of Dynamite, Tony Schiavone just broke the facade for the first time. He's like, it's great to be here. And, you know, I don't know if that heel meant to do that. Mm. He's like, I'm just a prick. <laughs> just a prick. In 2019, this happened. It's now 2023. People think that long-term stories are only classified as long-term stories if the people share the same ring and shout exposition at each other. <laughs> this is not Read the off case. Wikipedia pages. They've <laughs> got such great like subplots, like actual character arcs that have continuity that span the entire course of the promotion. And Christopher Danielson, uh, Christopher Daniels is the head of talent relations. This entire institution thinks MGF is a worthless arsehole who <laughs> represents them terribly. And I like this little wrinkle to the running gag here because it doubled as he's the face of ROH and one of the pioneers and he's got the experience of he's got the lived an experience of sharing his career basically with Danielson so in MJF's head he's like a credible um, it's the last scourge of the scoundrel is that the expression the last act of a desperate man where it's nice okay. really alliterative if I can shut up <laughs> if I can <laughs> Get anyone to credibly put this guy in the bin and convince him to cheer for me because he's the thin-skinned supervillain from the CM Punk, self-loathing arsehole, deep at his horrible core. Mm-mm. Daniels can be credible, and he's just like, no, I'm not doing that. This was a really nice way to save the deeply personal promo that I expect is coming for another week because then you'd have nowhere else to go. They've done a great job of always leaving somewhere to go Mm -hmm. so that this reaches the I have to see the match peak just before the pay-per-view. Yeah, it was a nice bit of business, this. Like, I didn't, like, it wasn't white hot stuff or anything, but I'm with Cedric. I think that is definitely to come. The wrestling's great because you can, there was a little bit of bollocks here, but you can absolutely spin that bollocks and make it make sense. And wrestling's allowed to, it just is. Like, depending on what the story is or what the character you're dealing with at the time is, AW is a young company, and there is a lot of ways to say what... Like, there's a lot of ways, different ways to say how you arrived at AW. AW was a convergence of a million different things, all of which can be read in a tremendous book I picked up a couple of years ago. Oh, what's that? By my very own colleague, Michael Sidrick. What's it called again, Sidrick? Well, it's called Becoming All Elite, The Rise of AEW, (laughs) and it covers across 120,000 passionate and insightful words... Words. Words. <laughs> Words. Audiobook from Mercedes Money scoop. <laughs> the formation and indeed rise of AEW. And lucky for you, if you have an Amazon account, hop on there and buy it. Becoming All Elite, the rise of AEW. They got Mikey Ruckus on to do all the music. <laughs> yeah, um, it's worth, worth, worth buying that if you have a spare bit of money lying around. It's, so that's Cedric's book is the long story. This one was the short one, even if it was a little bit bollocks. Like, 
Ring of Honor is a part of AEW, but it's not the part of Ring yeah, of Honor. Yeah, you can trace it. You yeah. can indirectly trace it back to all sorts like JCP. Aye. The, the WrestleMania main event of Cody Rhodes. Like yeah, a, yeah. It takes all these things, but right now, the thing that services mm-hmm. the best, and not just for the MJ thing, but for Honor Club. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a far more subtle way to promote the Honor Club and the Ring of Honor's TV show and the upcoming pay-per-view. It doesn't hurt to do this sort of stuff. And again, like continuity-wise, if we're being really, really, like, well, a bit of critical analysis in these podcasts. If we're being really brutal on AEW here, the last time Daniels interacted with Danielson, Danielson was a piece of sh- to him on yes. that dynamite when he was still a heel before he joined up with John Moxley. It was like, hey, we're going to do the Ring of Honor first match. And Danielson's like rubbing his hands together, drooling at the prospect of breaking an old man's legs. The like the but- segue from the Code of Honor to yeah. the hands and. Oh, oh my God. It's like, but again, it's like, well, what that is, is like, uh, it's a scar of war. That's what I expect when we're there with Brian Danielson and you're going to suffer even worse. You can just about yeah, yeah, yeah. make it tie yeah. together. And this was, a, I thought this was like a nice example of that. Uh, there's a video package next for the new tag champs, the Guns, uh, talking about all the doubts that they faced. They've only wrestled for a year. They only had 10 matches. Uh, they didn't have to go to the, ugh, the indies to get where they are. This isn't your fairy tale at Revolution. Welcome to the Gun Show. That's, this was, you didn't need a Baron Corbin element to this act, but they've, Done one. It's get the titles off them. This is a complete misfire. I would never. Pun intended? No. I would never criticize your delivery on these things, Will. Well, I if ever I've Sorry, yes. I'm, a, I'm an absolute mess at your job. However, you kind of the way you laid that out was all wrong. It was welcome to the guns, comma, show, because behind them was Paul White from that legendary. Like Big Show, Billy Gunn. It's, it's LTST is what you were missing out on. That's fine. We'll yes. let that go. We'll let that go. Do we, do we talk about the tag stuff yet or not? That's with the acclaimed, isn't it? Yeah, it's coming. You talk about it because it's the Jungle Boy match happens. We'll, and I'll, we'll talk about that in a yeah, second. Yeah. So Jungle Boy match happens. What happens after that happens, which we'll talk about in a second. Then Renee Paquette is there talking about Revolution. Says the Guns are going to defend their titles against two teams. The first winners of a traditional tag team battle royal next week, and then the week after, it's going to be a casino battle royal to determine the third team. In come the acclaimed and daddy ass, uh, and say we got screwed out of our titles. We're using our rematch clause. We're making it a fatal four way tag title match at Revolution. It's official. Lots of thoughts on this. Cedric's already highlighted one rematch clause. Ugh, never want to hear that on AEW ever. They've hinted at it happening, but it's been very selective at their own convenience. The point of, and it's happened twice, the point of concocting a master plan with the last person you would suspect to help you cheat to beat John Moxley is that he doesn't just get another go at it next week. Yeah, and no. what is the point of getting with Don Callis or William Regal respectively if then John Moxley turns with Dynamite? It's like, I want my shot tonight. You fooled me this week. And it's like, ah, oh, I concocted a great plan. I didn't count on yeah. next Wednesday. Like Hangman undoes- Page sat there devastated that his entire friendship network has evaporated and he's lost the one thing that makes him feel as good as that friendship network, the title that proves, in fact, he is elite. I'll get it next week. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a really bad habit, that. But obviously what they've done is they've wanted to get the acclaim back in the fold. And a bit lazy, but there you are. The, what isn't lazy, I don't think, is the way that they've arrived at this match because they did do this last year when it was a lazy way to get the Young Bucks and Red Dragon in the match. You remember? Like two battles, one week after another, battle rolling. And we're, last year we were going, oh, this is a bit lazy. But now it's like revolution law, so I guess fine. Yeah, it's like, like an annual tradition yeah, at like, this point. Even if it's a, even if the origin story is a kind of bad one, it's like well, fair enough. And and people might have a chance because Kyle O'Reilly's not in this one. Well, indeed, <laughs> yeah. he was a mint of them, wasn't he? Oh, he's about battle royal king. Yeah. Are they not inviting you to have 
like both. Yeah. And they end up creating a week for Sting and Derby and a week for FTR and the sentimental favourites. Jarrett and Lethal are going in this match one hundred. Oh yeah. But like hold them in and have them win the belts. But like, do you know what I mean? Like they're giving you opportunities here where you've got right, this this guns and acclaim thing doesn't feel that off, but like the acclaimed at least get in the shot and they get the chance to get the belts back. But in the meantime, you hoy in Sting and Derby for the huge sentimental favourites, and then I possibly Jarrett and Lethal for heels. I was thinking FTR because Something must be happening. Like, the match itself will have... Where is he going? <laughs> the match will have viable winners or the guns were doing an even worse troll job than winning the belts in the first place. So I think the match will be quite heated on the night. It's maybe bad stuff to get to a good destination. Yeah, it's a bit Triple h this booking. Yeah. Um, but, again, if you can't rely on the guns to do a tag team title match and make it feel big and important and serious at a pay-per-view, don't give them the belt. That should be the litmus test. Yeah. You've got a lineage to protect here. You've got a credibility to protect. If you have to rely on a four-way to get something good out of the guns, they have no place. Mm. Swerving our glory in the acclaimed is proof of that. Like how much were we all saying with like three days out from the paper, you're like going to die out there. And then it ends up being the match, yeah. like yeah. one of the matches of the year. That's proof of concept of that exact thing, yeah. isn't it? These belong in the title scene. Plus, does this mean we get the outrunners on Dynamite. Oh, yeah. Why did you say that? I want them in the match now. <laughs> they can just be in the. Just, you know, devote the entire road to to a promo for when they're going to be in the Casino Battle Royal. That's going to be great. In five minutes. They should be in both matches yeah. at a minimum. <laughs> uh, so, earlier, before the, the tag title thing, uh, was uh, Jungle Boy Jack Perry versus Brian Cage, rematch from their Winter is Coming match, of course. And. Uh, uh, Perry doesn't mess, mess about, immediately uses speed to uh, to take down Brian Cage. Two dives on the outside, but this time on the third one, Cage catches him and slams him on the apron. He does that uh, suplex from the apron inside and controls Jungle Boy throughout the break. Uh, when we come back, Perry fights out of a pop-up powerbomb. It's an enziguri. Um Goes flying again, but Cage catches him and hits a water wheel drop for a nice two count. Uh, there's a buckle bomb. Uh, off the back of Cage bridging out of a pin and F5 but Perry just will not give up Cage tries to suplex him out to the floor but Perry hangs him in the ropes double stomp top rope splash that gets a near fall uh, Cage fires up uh, but eats a crucifix bomb thrust kick and a roll up to give Jungle Boy the win uh, but it's kind of all about the post-match here uh, having defeated one Cage who should return but Christian Cage, he walks out on the ramp as Jungle Boy's walking up, signaling that he wants to go after a title. Uh, Jungle Boy Jack Perry charges at Christian Cage, appears to get maced. Um, but Christian Cage still got that right arm in a sling. But of course, he takes off all the padding and all that stuff. Uh, he's absolutely fine. Hits the kill switch on the ramp and says, I'm not done with you, Jack Perry. Handful of cold so he can go first. Well, it's just one of them things that you're encouraged to look for because it's AEW and they like cute stuff like this. The match felt weird, didn't it? But I think this is what Cedric was alluding to. Unless I've got the wrong match, this was a fixture. Like, it was absolutely fine. Jungle Boy's the one on a run. Uh, the result goes exactly as you expect. The match plays out kind of exactly as you expect. But I, I don't know. Maybe on another week, yeah, I'd be kind of the actual in-ring. But there was just no takeaway here, which isn't a problem in terms of being a fixture, but is one if you're supposed to be really rooting for Jungle Boy because I, I could do now with one of those Jungle Boy nights where I'm really revved up for him, where I'm thinking this isn't just a match to get another win on the board, it's to remind me, oh my God, you need to be paying attention to Jungle Boy, he's the next guy. Like, 
who who else has done this recently? Like Darby Allen just wasn't missing. He just was not having yeah. bad matches. And even in defeat, he was goaded. Yeah, he could. Even in he was cooking. Even in defeat <laughs> with Samoa Joe, you were like, well, that could be a defeat upwards. He could be ready for MJF whenever yeah. they want to go to that, you know. And I'm just not really feeling that with these Jungle Boy matches. However, Darby Allen, man of his word, didn't want to rematch clause, but it's a clause. two weeks ago, man. Yeah, that was to like get st- like keeps things respect, wasn't it? Is it a case then in the clause law <laughs> that you can take it or leave it? You can either accept the result and say, you know what, I need to do better. I don't feel like I'm entitled to a rematch. Does that make the acclaimed look like dicks? Yeah, good baby faces don't bother with it, whereas the heels, it'd be the first thing you want. Like, if there's then a, heels have not done it. Jericho didn't do it. If there's a rematch clause, MJF is going to be out probably before the pay-per-views. Like, at the press conference, he's going to be, Tony, I want my rematch. Yeah. Or something like, yeah. Jericho didn't do it. No. Because there wasn't one. It's the making, up, the, <laughs> making, the making up as they go along. Aye. The cage stuff was fine. But I'm not great, so sure. Great seeing back. Yeah, it really is, and maybe it'll help because I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure Jungle Boy is where he needs to be. So Cage will probably help. Matt. Um, I don't think that acute bit of foreshadowing. This is not the level of thought that I put over when I put over the level of thought in AEW. I don't think a cute bit of foreshadowing. Brian Cage, now Christian Cage. I don't think a cute bit of foreshadowing was enough to justify the second meeting in however many months between these two and yet another Brian Cage match on Dynamite. (laughs) I've said it before. He's the Bobby Fish, Jay Lethal guy who gets pinned all of the time for six weeks. He's the next cell on that spreadsheet. There'll be a column in that spreadsheet Wrestlers who can get beat all the time, but they have credibility because like Bobby Fish is like a great grappler. Jay Lethal is like an ROH legend. Brian Cage is massive. So you'll have an identifying characteristic on a spreadsheet, Tony Khan's of, right, people who can get beat column. Brian Cage. Brian Cage, Brian Cage, Brian Cage, Brian Cage. You just copied Brian Cage from the tab labelled people whinging online because I haven't got space to book them. Because Cage was in that one prior, yes. but like Mira's in there at the yes. moment. Yes, Lance Archer's doing that. Lance Archer's doing that. There's always right, people in that. Be the next one. Then he can leave six in a row. And it's like, I don't know what's going to get him back on board. Six defeats, but TV paydays. Like yes. Just <laughs> so that was a bit annoying. And as a result, I couldn't get up for the match. You knew who was going to win. You knew it was never about the match. I do like how... He hasn't just meandered until he wanders back into the grudge program. I like how at the core of this promotion, it should be about titles and achievement, and he would have gone that route by winning these matches. So they've done a lot of work mm-hmm. here. Unfortunately, the big bad in his life has returned to beat his ass, and now he needs to get his bloodthirsty revenge or whatever. That's all fine. But it felt to this crowd, maybe not everyone, maybe more people are hyped, fell to this crowd, and if I'm being brutally honest to myself, that I didn't feel like the elusive final confrontation in the big bloody grudge match is happening. It feels like something they are obligated to do narratively because it makes no sense not to do. Yeah. They've got two weeks to really heat this up and mm. remind you why it was so hot and so anticipated in the first place. But it feels like, all right, well, they have to do this. I hope can't. It really feels to me like they're thinking, or the fans are thinking, oh, I'll let them off because they can't not do this match at this point. It doesn't feel like people are frothing at the gash for it. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, <laughs> it's a brilliant stepped-up Dynamite main event more than a pay, pay-per-view match. It's going, IMO. To, it's going to pay-per-view. Everything, it, everything can't go to this pay-per-view match. Like how, many pay, how many rematches are there? Page marks, but that's a good one. Wardlow Joe has become a good one, but it was meant to be the AEW, the platonic ideal of that pay-per-view, 
concept was all of the matches that they just would not give you on TV because they made you wait for them, all of these amazing brand-new matches that have been built towards impeccably, and it almost feels like for much of this card and what it's going to look like, the literal opposite is true. All of these matches that you've seen and aren't that bothered about. The tag one is currently a rematch until we know the other two teams in it. Yeah, it's starts just about Jericho, the, Jesus starts in Jericho. God, that's incredible. Yeah. I don't know, that's five we're up to that are all rematches. Not that at the moment, Brian MJF is the only thing on the docket. I know there's not announced stuff that isn't a rematch or a version of a rematch. Only only four matches on the card so far. Mm-hmm. Starks Jericho's inevitable. Yeah. yeah. And, and if, not on there yet. if we're sort of suggesting that, like, say, Jungle Boy and Christian goes on it, that's a re- like the, the stuff that we could see going on it as well is rematch stuff. Four matches is fine, especially if one's an Ironman match. Stick to that. That's absolutely fine now. Uh, <laughs> I've, like, lost it. As a man who's doing the stream. I was trying to, like, talk Murray down from it yesterday about, like, we were over the desk saying, oh, they can't do, like, 12 to 14 matches then an Ironman match, and I've kind of surrendered to it today. Like, the more I see that they've kind of got to get round to and the more they probably don't want to leave off this card... I can't see it going any other way. I wonder if anyone will say on Twitter that the uh, pay-per-view is too long. Not really often that we get that around uh, AW pay-per-view season, is it? Anyway. Um, I think it's a valid conversation. I think the fact it gets undermined is uh, sometimes when the AW freakazoids are too loud for their own good. <laughs> it's a valid chat every time my eyes are bleeding and closing. In hot main events, I want to be more engaged in. And it's not just because I'm British no. and I'm watching it at a certain time. we trained in that. At this point, and it's a Sunday pay per view, so they're doing one thing right. There's always an hour. Yeah, there's always an hour of. There's always that. Oh, I forgot this one hasn't happened yet. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I should not spend three months on the hook on TV going right. Okay, I'm really looking forward to this one, and then when it happens, oh, Mm. I forgot. Um, Right, the elites are playing basketball. They talked a little bit like when my parents tried to talk to me about wrestling, about who you got, Team Janice, Team LeBron. Uh, it's NBA All-Star Weekend, which is why we got Rampage, Slam Dunk. What's the scene Friday. with Philip Seymour Hoffman where they're like, basketball, basketball, where they're just doing basketball, they're playing like sort of basketball in like a court in New York City somewhere, and they just pass the ball around, and he keeps missing, he goes like sort of free throw, and like just hits the backboard every time, and they pass it. Basketball, basketball. Nothing but net. And the ball goes like clean over the cage or something. Uh, anyway, in comes uh, Top Flight and AR Fox. They've got basketballs as well. <laughs> <laughs> but they want to run Slam it. Slam dunk. <laughs> they want to run it back. I want to watch basketball between these two. Yes, <laughs> like Nick and Matt Jackson are pretty classic. Yeah, basketball. apparently so. Let's huh? watch it. Or basketball. Even yes. I haven't watched oh, it. Yeah. Recently, to know if it's dated badly. Yeah, probably that's a good point. Maybe. It's Martin Tree. I imagine it probably is dated horribly. I am not a piece of (laughs) (laughs) s. Love that line. Yeah, but you're a piece of s. It's a basketball where there's like a scene with a, and it's like, it's comically, so it's okay. A comically large penis reveal. Yes. Like they're in the shower scene and like they're, the yeah. goes in to see them. Shooting from like the ankles or something. It's like swinging and it's hitting the ankles. <laughs> <laughs> And it brought us a uh, real big fish. So, yeah. All bad. I don't like it anymore. Solomon wants the academy. Solomon wants it to Castle Uni. They play, yeah. every, they play up there everything. Yeah, don't they? Uh, they wanna, anyway, what we're talking about? Yeah, AR Fox and Top Flight want to run it back Story with the elite. about that one. Great. On, uh, on Rampage. Um, Don Castle's like, nah. Dante's like, you ain't got the walls. 
got the balls. I got the balls. Uh, when Vince Russo, you say the Spaldings, because that was his favorite basketball. Yeah, yeah. He's desperate to get a deal. Get some freebies. <laughs> he ain't got the Spaldings, bro. 16 exclamation marks in Raw Magazine. Yeah. Uh, this uh, is writing. Omega accepts Brandon Cutler gets hit in the balls with basketball. But <laughs> we've got to talk about corrupting Cutler's camera. Who's <laughs> <laughs> the hair? House of Black. Tell us more about it. The tell them, tell them, troops. The Black Rabbit troops. Project. Yeah. 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 Um, the uh, camera, uh, Cutler's camera, was briefly infiltrated by the magic. <laughs> and oh, I can't wait. Is that what I sound like when I do the intro on NXT? Yeah, no. it's class. I can't wait. I cannot wait. Like the match genuinely is going to be great, but like let's call this what it was. It's like it's Bray Wyatt bollocks. It's like they want you to freeze frame it and slow it down. I was I was trying to do it just to show you and yes. this morning, and you, I couldn't catch it because it's like it's for the the real hardcore. But the match is going to run like. What do I think of this? I, d- I don't know. After all that elite discourse yesterday, I still don't think I know what I think of this. What kind of bollocks is it? Is it supernatural bollocks? Or has Malachi Black stolen the camera in between Brandon Cutler saying to Tony, here's the Young Bucks bit for this week. Thanks, Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> God, I've never, ever considered that com- that sad conversation at the production stuff. You got anything for me this week, Brandon? Yeah, we went down to a high school gym, Tony. Thanks, Brandon. This again, is it? Thanks, Brandon. Oh. <laughs> and then uh, in between Brandon passing off the footage to Tony for use on Dynamite, the hasted black have stolen it. And uh, what's the... Software that Phil uses to make all the videos you can watch on What Culture Wrestling's uh, yeah. YouTube channel. Yeah, he's hooked up with Kyle O'Reilly on the injured list and got him to do some freelancing for him. So I think Malachi Black's on Premiere. <laughs> some subliminal message, footage, and uh, I think the marks want the match. <laughs> <laughs> it's both kinds of stupid. The match will rule. Yeah. Give me some real build. <laughs> Premiere says this file has been corrupted. Looks fine to me. <laughs> I love the idea of Kenny Omega and Buddy Matthews doing the Spider-Man point. Yes. yes. When they do a sequence. I'm inventing reasons to like this more than I am invested in the story. Did you feel like, well, you didn't get a chance to talk about this morning, did you feel in any way like your specific queries over the Elite were answered? With no, this? no, not really. I know like they've got a match now. It feels like, I know what they're like psychologically from afar, that if faced with criticism, this has been a complete theme of the Young Bucks especially, their career, their entire career is predicated on defiance and digging their freaking heels in. Oh, they think we're doing stupid irreverent backstage stuff when we're not stars. Give me more basketballs, yeah. and I will take the piss out of you for thinking that. That mentality can get... For me, a massive elite mark, pretty small fry, and you're losing sight. But there wouldn't be the books. If they, it's the same with CM Punk. They're so similar. Yep. If they try to change and compromise, they would not be the people they are for good and bad, and I would prefer it that they would just stay true to themselves, even if what they are sometimes is pissy little brats who could really do with learning how to make a bit more money, particularly since they've not felt cold like this since January 5th, 2016, 
when this all started. You have to go back to December 2019. And even then, they were all over the show. Yeah. They might even be colder. Yeah, that's it's part of that. That attitude is part of the magic, isn't it? It is that's simply, why it's integral Punk, to the magic. That's why CM Punk will be a genius and botch a move and look like a complete arsehole in the process. Yeah. He will not be told that he can't do something. He just won't. Mm. And the books and Punk are so similar in that regard. Um, then it was time for Kip Sabian versus Hangman Page if he can Skip. make a match. Of- <laughs> Skip Sabian. <laughs> oh, that's brutal. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the question was if Hangman Page was even going to make the match. Kip Sabian. Penalty fast forward. <laughs> What's in that box like structure? Oh, it's a wrestler. Huh. He did well against yeah, Cassidy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, Page made it. He was fine after, despite the beat down earlier. Hmm. Uh, and he won. So Kip Sabian's yeah. sharp liver. Um, <laughs> but like, there's a what, now to this. You don't even have to recap at Wilborn. Okay. Was it Triple well, H? Was no, it no, Triple no, H no, or no. not? Was it Triple H or not? To have like Kip Sabian get the advantage and still get his ass kicked, or like was it not Triple H because they've tried to at least give him a chance because nobody would have bought this lasting more than five seconds without the beatdown? Even though he went 15 minutes with Orange Cassidy in a massive over delivery of a match, that was such a structural success story. Sorry. <laughs> Alliteration is for wankers. That I think people were like, that was a great bit of business. Not a breakthrough moment. It was a great performance, but it wasn't judged as a great performance. Mm. It was judged as they've worked inexplicable magic to get the Sabian character over to do that. I feel like if you have to do a beatdown angle ahead of the match, which is barely impacts the match, to convince your audience that the person doing the beatdown has got a chance of winning... Go back in time and don't book the match. Like, do not book it. This should have been an annihilation. Tony Khan knew damn well that no one was going to take this seriously. His attempts to get you to take it seriously weren't taken seriously. It was a mess. Shouldn't have booked it. The match was neither now nor something. Didn't out for Hangman Page. Didn't look like a winner. Kip Sabian got nothing in defeat. This was a complete and utter waste of time. And I tell you what, I didn't even like the post-match that much either. Me neither. That, well, was, the, that was the bigger takeaway. Let's get into it then. Page one with a dead eye. I don't hate that. Yeah, that I hadn't thought about that. Uh, I, I always detail, that. like... Oh, what's wrong with you? I wanted to hit the death round and do the wanker symbol. Oh, <laughs> God. <laughs> I thought you had such a serious problem there. You, that's the what's wrong with that brutal-looking signature of Page's? It's the second time this week his deadpan face has got me. Because <laughs> this is the thought I expect... He can now do, and he's done this in a plunder match before his page. He can do a dead eye through it from the apron to a table on the outside. Is like, oh, he beat Sabian with that, and then he gets up at nine. Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! Dead eye law, elite house of black, Malachi Black's oh, eye, hangman up. page. Oh, your Malachi, your dead eye. Tell him about the post. Tell the yeah. listeners about the post match, so I can. Be mildly critical of it. <laughs> hey, tell him to. Is that what you're saying to me? Tell him to. Tell okay. him to. Uh, so post match, John Moxley walks the ring. Uter uh, and looks Cal- a bit smug. Moxley, I, I just, yeah. Nobody looked like themselves here, or acting yeah, like themselves here weird. at all. Uh, Claudio's there as well. Uh, Moxley says, "You must think we've got unfinished business." I don't. I'll beat you. 
Um, I've got respect for you. Um, I've got your number, though, and there's no chance in hell uh, you'll ever beat me again. And Paige's like, I don't believe that you are satisfied with how it ended. A roll-up? Uh, this only ends with one of us uh, one of us left standing at Revolution. Uh, Moxie said, oh, I hope you'd say that, and you don't have any friends to talk you out of it. Here comes the Dark Order. Uh, Evil Uno, Alex Reynolds, John Silver, um, and uh, Hangman Page is, what are you doing here? Stay out of this. Evil Uno says, no, I've got, I've got something to say. Um, John, you've been at the top of the mountain for too long. Um, because these guys have had your back through and through. Again, Paige is like, stay out of it. Uno says, get out of my face. Uh, I'm not doing this on the request of you. I've got to tell you to your face, the Dark Order is not afraid of John Moxley. Evil Uno is not afraid of John Moxley. That's a match for them next week, of course. Um, and he shoves his face in the hand of Moxley. I thought commentary did a really good job of selling that. I'm like, oh, no one does that and gets away with it. Uh, they go head to head. Paige kind of holds Evil Uno back. There's... With, with Reynolds and Claudio and Silver. Um, and John grabs the mic and sort of looks past Evil Uno uh, and says, Revolution, Texas death. First of all, who called that stipulation? Bingo! Me. Two revolutions in a row for Michael Sidgwick. Indeed. Dog collar success of 2022. Indeed. I got the Revolution 2021 match wrong. I thought they were going to do a big mad blood and guts with Mox and the Lucha Brothers against the Elite. Oh, God, yeah. That's a I knew they were doing something mad, but I didn't know what the mad thing was. Yeah. Anyway, that's a bit of podcast love, if you remember. <laughs> Both Paige and Mox, and I don't mind it necessarily when this happens. It sometimes feels more organic. It feels like their emotions have got the best of them and they're lacking composure as a result. But they both stumbled over key lines and it was like, ah, oh, it just feels amateurish. Feels like you're not up for this angle. Mox did it against um, MJF that time, didn't he? With that guy, CBA type yeah. vibe, and it's like ruins it. It ruins the energy. I it, think when it does it? my theory on Mox is that he can't sell something he doesn't believe in to save his life, and that's what makes him a great babyface. So the set, yeah, he's going to do what he did to tend to Evil Uno, but he had to sell the idea that Evil Uno was a threat to him, and I just don't honestly think he could let himself do it. I think he just knows what's bollocks. And he can't, it's it's written all over his face when he doesn't believe in something. So I think that the addition of the Dark Order to this story, I think Moxley internally is just went, oh, come on, them. Like, what we're doing here sort of thing. And it just, and Paige wasn't at his best. So the whole interaction wasn't at its best. And I don't know if it was just, again, this specific crowd. But they've played fast and loose. Thank you, CM Punk. With, uh, and that was a bit, but weird how Hangman Page and the Dark Order just mysteriously disbanded and went their separate ways after, or just before CM Punk was about to feud with Hangman Page, and then they got back together. After that concluded, that's just weird to me. <laughs> that's very strange. I don't know if these fans really like or buy into this friendship and these heartfelt reunions between Page and the Dark Order anymore, because they didn't feel like, oh, yes, they're back together. Yeah, it's out of juice, isn't it? That, that's that one's out of juice. Like out I, of dark order. Nice. I, I just Page's acting wasn't great here, and he's normally a pretty good wrestling actor. I like. I don't always love what he's actually got to say or do, but he's pretty good at it. And I didn't believe this either. To, to the point about Moxley, I didn't really believe it with Hangman Page. And as well, we all knew that the finish of John Moxley um, out wrestling Hangman Page 
albeit in a very, very cagey fashion, had the potential to generate one more match. But this had a little bit of huh, Drew beat me with a backslide. We got to go again, brother. Like a, I don't a hate bit of it. I don't hate that at all because this whole thing has been premised on who can knock the other out. So it's got to be for a counter. Yeah, it's fair. I just like I don't know. Like the, Moxley is one. It's like they've, Moxley's broken the unwritten code they had between them. I think that's a great wrinkle. But he's won before through just always having somebody's number. He would willing to cheat because he was a better cheat than MJF. He had submissions when people didn't believe he had submissions. It was like Taz and Lance Archer way back when. Like, that's kind of what Moxley does, is that you just you have to find a way to win because he's always got one more than you, and he did that. And I, I think there was a bit more of Paige being a bitch getting this match than I expected, considering that they'd created a finish that was destined to get to something like He could have wound Moxley up yeah. rather than complained about it. You could have said, ah, oh, winning like that, okay. And then Moxley could have been challenged. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, that's it. That's yeah. probably the way around they should have Felt done. Like we should have booked it. <laughs> Just a bit of a missing detail, all a bit weird. Um, the match will, say it again, the match will rule. Yeah, that's the second s- two, absolutely, oh my God. Yeah. Get a bit nervous sitting here, um, thinking, oh God, is this going to be a show? But thankfully, no, JS is here. Uh, they are. Phew. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> he's good in a. It's not bad. He had him well once. I mean, he isn't because we clocked each other and looked at each other then, knew <laughs> that he was it was a bit claxon. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Tony Giovanni's with them. Uh, Chris Jericho. I'm not, I'm not sure if we picked up. He's been feuding with Ricky Starks. Yeah. Not got, not got a lot of coverage at this. Uh, it hasn't? <laughs> no one cares. Not a lot of mention. I don't know <laughs> anyone. I've never read a single take from a freakazoid. Along the lines of, why is everyone dumping on Jericho Starks, man? It's great. I don't think I've had the uh, the cretins. Honestly, I skew AEW more than WWE. I've had pelters from WWE fans throughout my entire professional car- uh, writing career, which predates AEW by years and years. Yeah. Okay? Not a one of them is more annoying than some of the people I get on a Thursday morning when I'm mildly critical of, a WW- of an AEW show after really enjoying it exclusively for five weeks. <laughs> Like, just admit that it's bad mm. sometimes. You get the odd people, or you did get the odd people, saying, come on, like, how can you say that after he's done so much to, like, put over Action Andretti, who has now disappeared off the face of the earth, yeah. so you're not getting that? Like, mm. that element of it has been... Missing an Action Andretti. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, Chris Jericho addresses Ricky Starks. I can beat you anytime, anywhere, but I'm not going to do it anymore. Uh, you're not on my level. No more matches for you. And Garcia's like, but we have got a match on Rampage on Friday. Um, it's not your time. Ricky, you are right about one thing, though. You are absolute. And uh, uh, Cool Hand Ange says, Lee annoying. Daddy Magic says, absolutely delusional. And Jake Hager uh, says, uh, absolutely, I like this hat. See Jericho fake corpse for this. Yeah. And share it on Twitter like, oh, you got me. It's so bloody funny. Uh I'm gonna beat. Get you rid of this group. Garcia says like I'm gonna beat now. You. I'm gonna beat you on Friday. Explosion. Explosion. <laughs> Nothing more than an what absolute fraud. This, all of this stuff. It's a Jericho thing, but it applies to everybody in wrestling. It is entirely dependent on the state of the act at the time as to whether or not this is charming or not. Who's uh, an example? Danhausen. Like Danhausen's shtick is all about if Danhausen is over, the majority of the people love him to the point where all three of us, when he comes out, are going. I don't really get it. And then over time, I'm like, all right, actually, I kind of do get yeah. this. He's got crisps in the ring, for Christ's sake. You know, there's a time and a place, and but you just never know when that's going to be until it plays out. 
this was horrible. Like, this was absolutely like my arse going 5p, 2p watching these losers with the biggest one of them all stood out front, still believing that this has value and merit. Go away. Chris Jericho, go away. Disappear from AEW for six to eight months, maybe even a year. Your precious spot will be there when it comes back because I'm sure the Wrestling Observer will say how much the locker room really misses Chris Jericho. (laughs) Go away. Lose to Ricky Starks and just leave. Like, I will welcome you back after six months or a year because you will be a missed presence on this television show, but never have I felt it more than in this promo. Sick of him. Sick of it. The idea of Chris Jericho and Ricky Starks. Obviously, I'll think I'll be reviewing Revolution. All going well. Yeah. I will be. We'll get on, your thoughts on it at some point, I've no doubt. I'll talk about my article. <laughs> <laughs> Never missed one. That's a lie. I've missed one, but I was on holiday. <laughs> <laughs> I can't professionally skip a match on these shows. Just can't do it. It's part of my job to watch them. My God, I don't want to watch this. I, there's now to it. Don't want to watch it. I've said since January 4th, the inevitable sequel will never be as loud. Quieter and longer. Have you ever seen, right, um, you know, like Electric Boogaloo or like any kind of suffix for a sequel? Mm. Longer and quieter. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Why would that have happened? We were kind of the last guys to uh, do sequels out of films all completely wrong. Kind of the last guys to uh, do these things called gauntlet. <laughs> yeah, I hate original versions of films too. You know what I love is the uh, Omaha Steaks. <laughs> uh, we're punching up. It's Chris and Jericho. Yeah, of course we are. Before we get to the main event, Stokely Hathaway's there looking very snazzy. Uh, he's got his arm wrapped because of what Hook did Not to him. He, uh, I am not selling that. Insists that Hook should be fired. He's spoken to Jesse Jackson, to Al Sharp, to Angela Davis. He wants, I like the way he said justice here. I'm not going to even attempt to. to Try Just, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do it in justice. <laughs> didn't say it like that. Uh, and any Ethan Page, like, yeah, 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 you're right, uh, Stokely. But uh, where were you? Matt Hardy threw a party for the firm to kind of raise the spirits. Sure, the vlog was great. Might that have been worse than one of those Raw reunion parties? A Matt Hardy firm party. Aye. Just, God. Um, oh, I can't make it. Oh, God. You haven't, I haven't told you when the date is yet. <laughs> <laughs> so, because I was the ladies there, and Cassidy confirms all this, and he was having them all going, ah. Uh. Um, and then... <laughs> that's, Shimani, that's going in that's every week, whether it's on the show or not. Yeah. You're doing that every week. Uh, Shivani says, Hook's been suspended pending an investigation. Taz is obviously furious about this. On How? Again, the selective... It's a, it's a s- that was the other punk tease. It was a mention of a suspension pending investigation. That was the one. Sorry. Okay. Sorry. This is less offensive to me than pissing about with a selective automatic rematch clause. What was Hook suspended for? Hurting Stokely's arm, which he then subsequently like, high-fived Ethan Page. I guess. Went, oh, 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 how uh, many... Attacks happen. Everything is a crime in wrestling. (laughs) Technically, everything is a crime in wrestling that doesn't happen in the ring in the parameters of a sanctioned match, okay? So I try not to think about that because I'm very pedantic. In UFC, if someone punched someone in a press conference, that's like a crime, isn't it? Yeah. Well, you just look at, you know, the uh, McGregor, Habib. Brooklyn bus assault. Yeah. 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 
this happens in wrestling so much, which makes it fake, but it's wrestling. It's one of those, it's even more than the invisible camera. That's the sort of thing you just have to go with. You have to in this world. But no one else gets suspended for it. Well, I was just about, yeah, I was just thinking there, like he, off the top of my head, I'm fairly certain he just sort of twisted his arm and he said, oh, bloody hell, uh, you know, I, was just, I wasn't talking about you, even though you stood behind me whilst I was doing it, blah, blah, blah. Off the top of my head, I can immediately think of twice that a hand has been shut in a car door deliberately. Ruby Soho and Dustin Rhodes. Yeah. Even if you go on the, on the grounds of, right, Stokely's not in-ring talent. He's oh, a manager. Yeah. Um, Malachi Black chinned on Anderson, correct? Papa Buck was bludgeoned. Scram! But he's not in the company. Oh, yeah. But that's even worse, isn't it? Yeah, like, no, no, no. He's like a civilian. He's yeah. a civilian. Yeah. Civilian attack. Ketchup as well. It's funny. Yeah. On Anderson. Yeah. Got oh. his head kicked off by Malachi Black. Dean Malenko. There was no investigation. The pinnacle with Dean Malenko. Jerry Lynn, Chris Jericho. Mm -hmm. Oh, where, man? Does anyone give a shit about the rules anymore? (laughs) Sorry. Is is it the F word on the Big Lebowski? Cover my bases. Doesn't anyone give a shit about the rules anymore? Oh, yeah. I thought you enjoyed Story Sitch. I got one for you right here. I think whether or not. I think. Down here, really, really low down here. The much below the bar of AEW storytelling. I doubt it. Um, Taz seemed pretty annoyed. Yeah, Stokely's pretty furious. But what if you know Taz is like you know my son's hot headed. I used to be that way. Like, let's figure something out. Maybe Stokely lifts the charges. Whatever it is, I don't know. Like, and agrees to allow Hook back. All charges are dropped if he's given control of his contract. Storyline about somebody controlling somebody's contract. You in? Get in, loser. Somebody's got to fight for the freedom in AEW. <laughs> um, main event time. <laughs> Ethan Page, like Matt Hardy Hook, just amassing people that don't want to wrestle with him, but he's basically got like his dream trios with guys that don't even like him, that like won't tag him in. I'm a trios champion with Hook and Matt Hardy. Uh, How are you going, guys? Uh, main event time. I'll do this this way around so it doesn't end with us playing our weird little game. So that means... It's time to play the game! <laughs> time to play time the to game! game. <laughs> no one forced it. <laughs> Is that the need to be a wrestler? So. Zero mortgage payments. Bought outright. Uh, what's the name of the game? What's the aim of the game, Sitch? I will in get order, this on a button eventually. In order to shine a harsh, glaring light on the apathetic, obligatory, afterthought, token nature of the AEW Women's Division, we want to identify to the correct hour, minute, second, precisely when you hear the first note of the first woman's entrance theme for her entrance for the one match that happens on AEW Dynamite every single week. Okay? It's beyond a joke, and there's even a rhyme that you can come up with to really illustrate the total apathy here. Remember, guys, when the women come out to play, the main event ain't too far away. This week it was the main event, but most (laughs) weeks, until they actually book this division well, until there are more than one women's match, we will play this game that we don't want to win. That's the aim of the game. The name of the game is, well, this is ladies' night, and I'm thinking, oh, what a night uh, as always, thanks to the guys who take care of these statistics. The uh, data, 
Yes, normally it's Adam Blair at Adam Wilson 4. He's away doing a business. So the brilliant Jose Palomares at the Ho 11 on Twitter taking care of it this week. Sijin, uh, descending order, what was the times we went for this week? I had a feeling I wasn't going to win this quite early on into this show when they said the women are going to main it then. Yeah. Like, oh, do it again. <laughs> Adam Wilborn, Adam Wilborn. One hour, 17 minutes, and 11 seconds. Oh, and five now. <laughs> Oof. Michael Hamflett, one hour, 24 minutes, 50 seconds. And your winner with one hour, 29 minutes, and 31 <laughs> seconds is Michael Sidgwick. <laughs> Not very close this week. One hour, 46 yeah, closer, minutes. Closer than you. So. Yeah. <laughs> I think I was nearly an hour off, basically. Yeah, you were. Uh, one hour, 46 <laughs> We're talking about winners and losers here. One hour, 46 minutes, 50 seconds. Uh, Sidgwick takes a 3-2 lead over Michael Hamflet. Again, me. Still to get on the board this year. It's a slow start. This time. Celebrated last, last season too much. That's what it is. Yeah. Still on the beach. Still on the beach. Um, but the good news is that means next week, and this is my favourite way of doing it, we get to guess after Sidgwick, which means he can you know, introduce us to how the show's going to sound from the beginning. Giving us his game plan, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Next week. Um, so congratulations to you and thank you as always to Jose Palomares for taking care of that it was Tony Storm Britt Baker and Ruby Soho uh, and Tony Storm along with her dastardly partner Soraya come down and attack a fan at ringside who had a Britt Baker sign they're gonna spray paint her but uh, Soho enters and that puts a stop to it petty complaint Maybe a one that I wouldn't have if this was involving wrestlers and a story that I liked, which I no longer do. This is the Bray Wyatt thing. I am out. Uh, that's look, fan plants normally look fake, right? It, that's just the way it is. The plants, but they didn't even like attempt to like hide any security over there or anything, was it? It was like if Ruby Soho doesn't come down, that fan's going to die. <laughs> like, there's like loads of security around the building. None of them right rush to it. Like you've got to set that up to look. It's the whole point of a plant, isn't it? It's like a disruption. It's mm. ooh. They're really nasty because this doesn't look right. Security going to get past Tony and Soraya is going to beat the crap out of this fan because Tony Storm's holding them off. Yeah, Any, anything like that. Well, you bought your ticket. Yeah, your problem now. <laughs> just, just look fake. All of this feels fake. That looked fake. <sighs> um, and yes, the story of this match. Not sure if you picked up on it. Is uh, whose side is Ruby Soho on? Um, they kind of spell it out quite a lot here. Um, Storm's holding Britt Baker, going. Popper and uh, Ruby Soho doesn't. Uh, Storm gets sent to the outside. Excalibur spells it out for the audience. Where do Soho's allegiances lie? Um, Storm and Soho trade rest, wrestling holds. No striking yet because you don't know. Uh, Storm hits Baker with sweet cheek music. Um, Storm goes to the floor with Soraya. Soho and on the other side, Baker's on the other side, and the break is her stood in the middle of the ring going, Which way should I go? Um, we come back. Baker drives so in the corner, takes our storm with a sling blade, uh, and Baker hits that neck breaker DDT combo on both of them for a nice near fall. Soraya trips up Baker. Storm hits a German suplex. Soho responds with a pump knee. Storm goes for a, another hip attack, but runs into an STO by Soho. Baker can't hit her spinning suplex. Storm breaks it up with a super kick. Everyone goes down. Uh, Soho is in the Casadora position on Storm, so Baker school does a schoolgirl. Soho goes flying. Storm and Baker are in there. There's a ripcord elbow and a spinning fisherman suplex to get a two count for Baker. Soho goes for a top rope dive on Baker, but runs into a punch by Storm, who puts her in a cloverleaf. 
Baker tries to lockjaw her at the same time. What if she'd have tapped there? It doesn't matter. Anyway, Soraya jumps in. It does. With, it was one of numerous logic flaws. Uh, Soraya jumps in with some unique-looking kicks. Uh, Storm hits Hater <laughs> with a Tornado DDT on the floor. Soraya hits the nightcap on Baker. Storm gets her ass sprayed by Soraya, uh, the head of hitting Sweet Cheek Music on Baker. But Soho sends Soraya into Storm on the floor, rolls up Baker, one, two, three, and the show ends with us wondering where does Soho's allegiances lie and Soraya and Sahater are there um, and yeah that's the end of the show I am so confused and full of resentment <laughs> and I hated this so much it's so hard to pass it shouldn't be it really shouldn't be oh my god so Tony Storm voluntarily leaves WWE because her character was of a complete geek who got ritually embarrassed by Charlotte Flair but was directed to the absolute detriment of her character to say, I'm not that bothered. Got me two tiny two pies. That happened, didn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, she got cream by, by um, Charlotte Flair. From she voluntarily right. left. She <laughs> voluntarily left WWE. Oh. She is now playing alongside Soraya, a stand-up for WWE character in opposition, in opposition to the homegrowns, we built this. We built the city. Okay? So you've got two opposing factions. One, we built this. There's nothing wrong with it. Oh, well, we could do a better job. Okay? So you'd think then, for God's sake, that the homegrowns, because the standard for AEW freakazoids, are going to like them and not those evil fed guys. It's so stupid. So TNA, I hate it so much. <laughs> it is. Over the course of the match, Ruby Soho. Over the course of a match, that is a chapter in a story that can only really end with the homegrowns winning. Otherwise, you admit that Fed actually good. Main event mafia crushed the TNA front line. Yeah, <laughs> that worked out just fine. <laughs> Throughout the course of this match, which is a chapter on the destination of Fed Bad, <laughs> Ruby Soho. Doesn't care about winning or losing. She cares about oh, who should I not hit? So you're saying it's not destination fed bad. It's destination unknown. Yes. Alex this, she does NXT face and inner Shawn Michaels <laughs> conflict before finally making a good decision at the end. Could There's a the, problem with that later. Could hit the dead eye. In a three-way match, which is a parody of a WWE match, Inadvertently so, because it's just two people do sequences and one person selling for way longer than they would. A terrible WWE trope that WWE gets pelters for. If you're going to satirize them, do it better. That's the minimum, minimum part of this job. And then at the finish, when Ruby Soho finally makes a firm and correct decision to just win, <laughs> because it's all about winning or losing, and it's not about whose side you on, she finally makes a correct decision. This decision upsets both sides of the homegrown versus imports debate. Make it make sense for me. Who's the baby face? Who's the heel? What's the objective? Is it about picking a side? Is it about winning a match? Why are people getting their arses spray painted? <laughs> Ruby Soho winning. And the then better, this was more true to the Netflix show, Is It Cake? <laughs> <laughs> than... Is it cake or is it a wrestling feud? Yeah. Like, uh, Ruby Soho winning while Jamie Hayt was in the ring at the end was sort of 
just devastating to look at, really, because Jamie Hayes is a world champion. Ruby Soho has just picked a big win. So theoretically, she becomes an number one contender for Revolution, right? Which is fine. That's not the devastating bit. Fine. Just do that singles match if you want. Because if anything, right now, that's more interesting than the obvious Soraya or Tony Storm. She's fighting for the title, but aren't they supposed to be friends? Like, uh, uh, No. But, what? But we don't know, right? <laughs> this is the thing. So you're seeing that Revolution match. Thinking, Hang on, that also doesn't make sense. This is a story I don't care about anymore. The match was like that attempt to use moves to disguise the fact it wasn't very good. Like the execution wasn't awesome at all points either. I think you say at all. Well, yeah, no, it wasn't a, like a calamity by any means, but like there was a, a lot of it moves. Good. No, there was a lot of moves with a view to make this thing. Well, we'll just make this pass by with moves, but then half of them weren't very well executed. So that, that fell away as well. I cannot think of a bigger self-own in this women's division than taking the one woman who, yes, by the way, was the uh, ex-WWE guy, fight for WWE in Tony Storm, who made that division, especially when it was going through another crisis in 2022, mm-hmm. feel as important and as relevant and as interesting it had been, maybe in its entire existence, consistently anyway, and having her have a big L sprayed on her as she was part of Team WWE. That was too literal a self-own. It's like, yep. There's the big L. You've just handed it to Tony Storm. I hate what has become of this character. I do not want to watch Tony Storm in this role. I'm devastated for her. Of course, it's better than getting cake shoved in your face with Charlotte Flair. But, like, that cannot be the bar. Mm. Like, that worst of all time stuff cannot be the bar. <laughs> just working that out. Just working out what the L would look like if it actually worked. I just... I just I uh, yeah, this was pretty miserable. I I was back in this storyline for the bigger picture, but I'm not seeing one. I don't even think that like as well. What's weird at this? Maybe not because we're still early in the story. Is it weird or is it not that nobody else? It's weird, including Hikaru Shida at this point. But nobody Where's else. She gone? Where's she? Yeah, has shown well because she was like she left this storyline when her and AW original that needs to be part of the homegrowns was theoretically friends with. Soraya and Tony, so I think that's why narratively she's absent because she's confused. But like for the how are they trying to sell this storyline? How come nobody else in this division gives a tiny toss about it? <laughs> like that's I think that we're reaching the point where that becomes a plot hole rather than it just being like a, a five woman angle. This is still fundamentally the problem with AW, you get one story at a time, when this theoretically should be sprawling across multiple other ones. Mm. So much wrong with this. It's a disaster, this. And a total and utter disaster. I feel bad for the division because this is not the first time we've kind of like been very critical of a women's main event on a bad dynamite. Baltimore, Sige? Baltimore. Bad dynamite, bad women's main event. I need to go and see if this is more of a pattern when... It's like, kind of a cheat code, I think. I'm inferring this from Tony Khan where, right, okay, this card's not great. Can't do a banger every week. Laredo can get the not very good one, but we might get the she did that crowd get the positive engagement on Twitter because mm. we put women in the main event. Disgusting. Hmm. And they're like, well, you know, I know this isn't, but stick around because the elite will be out in a bit. Like That's, that's true, yeah, for the rampage taping, yeah. So. so the rule in the jingle still kind of applies, doesn't it? Like, because the elite are out next, yeah. they're like the real main event. The real quiz is on rampage. Mm. Let us know your thoughts on AW Dynamite on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Watch, they can follow all three of us. You can follow Michael Hamflet at... Michael Hamflet. Follow Michael Sidgwick at... M. Sidgwick. Follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at What Culture WWE. As I said, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling. Wherever you get your podcast from for daily wrestling podcasts, myself and the Daddy Boys back later on today to talk about what needs to happen at Elimination Chamber this weekend. But for now, this has been the AW Dynamite Review. My thanks to the Daddy Boys. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you soon. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.